I've got a little handout thing. Uh, is there somebody that could help me hand these out? I've only got 10 of them, so um, maybe you guys could share. Oh, there's another one here. So we're going to talk about money today. And um, so I guess this is kind of continuing the series. Uh, Matt has been talking about money the last two uh, Sundays. And um, I was kind of excited to hear that he was teaching about money. For one thing, because it's such an important issue. Uh, Jesus said, where your, tre- where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And uh, I always appreciate when it's hard, especially, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm here as a missionary. I don't receive any money from this church. That's just how it works if you're new here. Um, if you give in the offering plate, it doesn't go to me. So, um, that, But it's hard when you're somebody like Matt and you're supported by the church to talk about money. And yet we have to talk about money because it's a hard issue. And Matt wants the best for you and he cares for you and he loves you and he, he carries the burden of, of your souls on his shoulder and, and he loves you well in preaching on the sermon. I'd encourage you to go thank him for preaching on that because it takes a lot of courage to, to touch on that. Uh, and, and Matt has spoken the last two Sundays. Well, I didn't hear what he spoke about last Sunday because I wasn't here. But um, from talking with him, what I understand is he's talking about giving. Uh, and, he's, and that's the hard issue. That's, that's the hard part is giving. Um, but the other half of the hard part is receiving money. Uh, and so as I mentioned, I'm a missionary. I um, am sent from, from my hometown in Red Lake, Ontario, originally to work in Africa and now to work here at the University of Sherbrooke uh, doing Bible studies and uh, sharing the gospel there on campus. Um, and it's hard to receive money. It's hard to ask people for money. It's hard to... Um, do something that you love that doesn't really feel like work and at the end of the day feel like, okay, I've done a day's work, I can go to sleep with a clean conscience. And there's a whole bunch of issues here and I know that uh, there's a few people in ministry like in a similar situation as I am or just starting with, uh, they're just leaving now, (laughs) Joel and Chantal. Um, And uh, so these are important issues that I have wrestled with uh, and that I want to share with you um, to enable us to do ministry well and to love well people that are doing ministry. So, and the reason that you have so much notes, so you got like a book here, a little booklet, uh, it's because my mission asked me when I was starting missions to, um, to really research the subject and figure out what I believed. And uh, this past summer, I kind of revived that stuff, recorded some podcasts and, and was kind of thinking through that. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to print the whole thing, give it to you guys. And it'll be a resource for you. There's a whole bunch of Bible studies in there and a whole bunch of stuff that I don't have time to get into today. But you can look at it uh, throughout the week if these, in- if these subjects interest you because it's really important and often doesn't get talked about because, you know, it, it's a difficult subject to talk on. So uh, the first thing I want to say, I'm going to mostly be talking about receiving and, and the heart of a pastor and, and is it legitimate and what about Paul, what about tent making, what about George Mueller and stuff like that. Um, I just want to say one brief thing about giving, and I'm sure that Matt has done a great job of all of this, but um, just one thing that, uh, that could be said is that sometimes as children, let's, let's go here, uh, we have sort of an immature understanding of how money works because we're children, right? And we say silly things like, where's my clothes? There's nothing to eat. 
Uh, Mom, can I have the, the keys of the car? Mom, why is there no gas in the car? Um, as though the, the magical um, money fairy just kind of floats around and, and, or the magical laundry fairy picks up your clothes and, and does them and, and the food fairy puts food in the, in the, in the fridge and, and the cleaning fairy cleans up after you. Um, and if these things don't happen, we're like, hey, what's wrong? What, why didn't this happen? And of course, the, the reality is that somebody has to do all these things. Uh, everything, if, if you look around this room, or if you're a child looking around your house, everything costs money. The lights, the heating, the, the car, the food, everything either costs work or money. And as kids kind of grow up through teens, they kind of need to realize, hey, you need to be contributing here. You're no longer a little uh, baby. You need to be contributing. And sometimes that's a rough transition. Um, first roommate, first college, first, you know, getting married and realizing, oh, I'm no longer a child. I need to pick up after myself. I need to... Um, being an adult is hard work. It's, it, it kind of sucks in a way. It, it would be nice if it could just be kids and, and people would pay for us. Um, and sometimes we bring this immature attitude into the church. And again, I don't know anybody's giving here, okay? This is, I, I'm not, if you, feel, if you feel like I'm preaching right at you, I'm not. I have no idea where anybody's giving is. But sometimes we have this immature idea that Somebody else will pay for the lighting. Somebody else will plow the snow. Somebody else will mow the grass. Somebody else will pay the, the rent and the mortgage of the church. Somebody else will pay for the pastor's time, the worship leader's time. Somebody, it'll all just be done for me. And if I just show up and leave, I've done my part. And this is not at all to, you know, if you're new, if you're checking it out, you're not sure if Christianity's for you, if, if you're, you're really broke, whatever, like this is, that's fine. But if you're a committed member, if this is your church home, if this is something that gives you life and you're like, I'm part of this community, this is my family, um, then there's a time and a place to say the magical pink money fairy is not going to sprinkle money on everything. Um, this is us. And, and our church is not state-sponsored. Uh, we don't get money you know, from somewhere else. It, it all comes from this room right here. This is where the money comes from. So be that as it may, I, I just thought it's a little bit awkward to say, but I think it needs to be said that if nobody in this room paid anything, there would be no church. There would be no church. And so we need to contribute. And this is out of, you know, and, and whatever you feel led to give, you know, that's, that's up to you. That's between you and God. There's no compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. This isn't to lay a burden of guilt on anybody, but that's just, that's just how, how money works in a Protestant situation. Um, so that is page four in your little booklet here. Um, I want to talk about um, some of the dangers of ministry and money because we're going to talk about basically my, my, my thesis here is that it is good to receive money. It is good for a pastor to get paid. It is good for a missionary to get paid. Um, but in saying that, and we're going to go there, but first there's a few dangers. The, 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 and the Bible is very clear. There, there are some dangers here in receiving money. Money and ministry sometimes don't mix, or it has gone wrong. It can go wrong. Um, so the first thing, and you might already be going here in your mind is from what I just shared, is that the gospel must be free. There should never be somebody that feels as though they can't go to church because they can't afford it. There should never be somebody that feels as though they can't ask the pastor to come over and pray with them because they can't afford him. Uh, and there can, even what I said, I know can be misconstrued, misconstrued to being like, 
If you're not paying, then don't show up. And that's not what I meant to say. Okay, so if you heard that, just forget what I said. The, the gospel should be free. And uh, where I get that, there's a lot of places in the Bible, but James 2, 1 to 6 says, we should not hold the rich in a place of favoritism. To say, because you come in, in here, we know that you're a doctor, we know that you're uh, a lawyer, whatever, you get a special place, you're one of the elders, you're, you're in control, and, and because you're poor and you're a student, you know, I guess it's okay that you're here. Um, there should never be a sense of favoritism, as it says in James 2, 1 to 6. And the poor should not be hindered from hearing the gospel for financial reasons. Matthew uh, eleven five. well, all through this, the gospels, uh, a verse that Jesus keeps repeating is, uh, the, the poor have the gospel preached to them. This is the evidence of the kingdom. When the kingdom comes, the poor have the, the gospel preached to them. And throughout history, when the church goes off the rails, goes in a bad direction, often... The way that it goes in a bad direction is it starts putting up barriers and only the gospel is only for the rich people. Uh, and if you're poor, you need to go to a different church or a different place or sit in a different pew um, than the rich people. There should never be a hindrance. Um, and, and there's some Bible passages there to further um, prove that for you. Um, so we, But I just want to move quickly through this. Um, the gospel should be completely free. So this is a really important um, danger is that we don't ever want to charge for the gospel. Secondly, uh, as Protestants, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So whether you're a pastor or whether you're a mechanic, whether you're a bishop like Bishop Charlie or whether um, you're a janitor, we're all equal. And we're all equally a equal before God in like how holy we are or how special we are. We're all equally special. And we're all equally um, share the burden of sharing the gospel with our friends, being on mission. We're all missionaries in the sense that we're all, it's not as though um, we hire people to do our work and then we sit back and, or we hire people to do the gospel work and then we, we do the secular work. There is no division between holy work and non-holy work. If you go to work, you should be finding ways to share the gospel with your coworkers in appropriate ways. Um, and um, all of our lives, should, we should always be missionaries. So there's no division between priests and laity. Um, if you're a pastor and you're not doing a good job or you're caught in sin or you're, um, you're no longer able to do your job for wh whatever reason, it's just like any other job. You're, you need to be let go. You need to move on to something else. You need to you know, find a different way to support yourself. Um, we don't believe that there's a priestly class, and once a priest, you're always a priest, no matter how many sins you commit, no matter how incompetent you are, you're always going to be supported by the church. That's not what we believe as Protestants. Um, we're all equal. And also, whatever, we're going to get into this later, but whatever rules we apply to Matt as our pastor, um, we also need to be applying to all of us. Because we're all equal. We're all equally priests. There's no division between the pastor lives this way and we live that way. Um, whatever we expect of our pastor, we should be expecting of ourselves as well. There's no division between uh, the priesthood and the laity. And we get that from uh, the, the passages that I laid out for you there. Um, Revelations 1.6, 5.10, Acts 2.16-19, a whole bunch of other passages as well. Um, greed should never be a motivation for ministry. Um, and uh, this is the qualifications for an elder in 1 Timothy 6 and in Titus. And, uh, somebody who aspires to be a leader in the church should not be greedy. This is one of the 
qualifications. Uh, because it leads to false teaching. If you're greedy for money, you're going to tend to tiptoe around certain issues and preach on issues that people like to hear so that they enjoy hearing you, so that they buy your best-selling books, so that, they, so that you get a bigger and bigger church, etc. Greed should not be a motivation for ministry. Um, as well, point five here, there's a situation that can happen when the church really goes off the rails. Uh, and in Ezekiel 34, 1-10, it talks about, and it's this extended metaphor of um, shepherds, that instead of being shepherds, they're abusing the flock, they're killing the flock, they're eating the, the flock, they're, they're fleecing the flock, and they're living like kings while the flock is, is suffering under them. And this is a really extreme case, but it's where we get the expression fleecing the sheep. Um, at different, at set, the temple system during the time of Jesus was in some ways an extremely corrupt system. And so that applies in that situation. At sometimes uh, during the Middle Ages, the church really went off the rails. Um, and that's why the Protestants had a Reformation and the Catholics had a Catholic Reformation or a, Pro- or a Counter-Reformation, whatever. Um, we fixed the issues. <laughs> there were serious issues during the, the later Middle Ages. Um, and some health and wealth gospel and uh, some cult uh, situations are like that today. So that's, that's kind of an extreme example. The, the world tends to think that all churches operate this way. It's not true. But there, if we're talking about dangers, we're trying to be comprehensive, that is something that can happen, is just um, people being greedy, people abusing people in the church. Uh, point number four is kind of a big one that I've, I've, sorry, I've been going fast, but I want to slow down on point number four is that it's really important biblically that people work for their keep. It's really, really important. This is a really important concept. And I've already kind of mentioned this once. I'm going to mention it now and I'm going to mention it later because it's so important. As kids, we, people work for us. And, and, and we just, you know, go to school, come home, play video games, play with our brother and sister, and then go to sleep. And it's great. Somebody else provides for us. But as we grow up, we need to work. And we're expected to work. God lays out an example for us. He works six days and then he rests the seventh day. Seventh day, And this is the example for us. And he creates man and woman in his image. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth and, um, and control it. Forget exactly the, the terminology. And then in Genesis 2, uh, he creates a garden. And he puts mankind in the garden to cultivate it and to tend it. Uh, and then in, in Genesis 3, uh, humankind is, is cursed, and work becomes hard. It was, work is meant to be joyful, but because of sin, from the sweat and, and toil of our brow, we will, we will bring forth food from the earth. So work is difficult, and we need to work. And if we don't work, then we're lazy. We're a sluggard. And Proverbs has all sorts of things to say about the sluggard and the lazy person and and making fun of him and, and calling him names and saying, this is not the person you want to be. Don't be a sluggard. Work for yourself. You need to take responsibility for yourself. Um, in the New Testament era, uh, there was a communal living situation. So people lived, uh, they, they pooled their assets and they lived off of that. Um, and there were some people, and that's one way of, of doing Christian life. I don't think it's mandated for all Christians everywhere, but it's one way of doing things. But there were some people that were taking advantage of this and not really contributing to the life of the community. They were just, as Paul says, they're, some people are going from house to house, gossiping, 
saying things that ought not to be said. Some people are just being busybodies. And these people ought not to eat at the communal table. And Paul says, if, you, if a man shall not work, he should not eat. Very extreme statement, but it, Paul has basically a zero-tolerance policy. If you're not working, don't eat. Wait, I have to eat to live. Okay, get a job. Work. Um, so it's very important, biblically, that everybody works. So this leads to the, the big question, now on page 7. Is ministry real, real work? Is ministry real work? Is preaching, is leading worship, is doing the books, is doing janitorial work for the church, mowing the grass? Is all this stuff real work? Does this count as real work? If you ask Joe Blow person in the road if it's real work, you know, being a pastor is real work, what do you think they would answer? Probably no. Um, and if you ask, if, I'm not sure how I want to say this. Often, even in the church, we have this sort of under, feeling that being a pastor, working in the church, it's not really real work. It's not really. And, and part of that is because a lot of us give our time to the church, and we should. And for us, people that have a job or, or that get our living elsewhere, and then we give, like I preach like once a month here. Uh, for those of you that don't know, or less than that. And sometimes they worship. And that's like a hobby for me. And it's fun. And I have my, my real job, and then I come here, and I, I get to do this, and, and it's fun. It's great. It's, you know, some people go golfing on the weekend. We come to church, and sometimes we participate, and, and we give. And it's fun. And so it doesn't feel like work, especially when you're just doing a little bit of it. But taking the example of of golfing, for example, something that can be a hobby for one person can be a full-time job for somebody else. And you wouldn't ex expect Tiger Woods or, or somebody to, you wouldn't say, well, that, you shouldn't get paid for what you're doing because it's fun. Whether it's fun or not, if you're doing it full-time, you need to be able to support yourself. Um, and, and so ministry is one of those things, even though it's fun, uh, we need to ask the question, is it real work? And the answer to that question comes from 1 Timothy 5, 18. 1 Timothy 5, 18. Got a lot to say, but, um, and, and you might get kind of lost, you might be getting lost already in all the material I've prepared. But there's two main passages that are really key. In 1 Peter 5, 18 is one of them, and the second one is 1 Corinthians 9, and we'll go there next. 1 Timothy 5.18 says, or sorry, starting at verse 17, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So we don't need to go further than that. It's extremely clear right here. Ministry work is real work, and it sh you should pay the person that's doing ministry work. We don't have enough money to pay Matt to work full-time. Uh, we wish we did. We wish we could. Uh, we're trying to, um, to raise more money so that we can, we can pay him like we should. Um, and that's the situation of a lot of churches. They don't have money to pay everybody like they should. Um, but we should. 
we should pay, pay uh, as much as we can. And I think what this refutes really clearly is this sort of super spiritual idea that it's not really godly, it's not really spiritual to pay or to ask for money, uh, for a pastor to ask for a salary. Uh, that's kind of, money is kind of dirty and preaching is really holy, so we don't want to, you know, get, get the preaching dirty with the money bit. Um, no, it says elders should be, are worthy of double honor and the worker is worthy of his wages. It's real work to be working in ministry. So that leads into the second question. Is it okay to get paid for ministry work? Yes. We've already answered that question. Um, the worker is worthy of his wages. It's okay to get paid for ministry work. My third question here, and I have more support for this than uh, I'm going to go into right now, but you can read that later. Is it okay to get paid well for ministry work? Right away, you're thinking of a danger. You're thinking of an extreme situation of, you know, a televangelist or, or somebody that's, you know, has a private jet and, and is getting paid ridiculous amounts of money. And you're thinking, there's something off about that. But the other extreme, which is far more common, is thinking that it's just normal for pastors to live at or far below the poverty level because that's just spiritual. It's just spiritual for missionaries and pastors to be poor. And if a if a pastor shows up, I mean, if anybody else shows up in, what, what's the latest model of car? Like, um, if, if anybody shows up in a Tesla, we'd all gather around and be like, whoa, cool, you got a Tesla. How, how much does that, or like, how, maybe we wouldn't ask how much it costs. We'd be like, what, what does it get for mileage? Or I guess it's electric, hey, is that? Oh, cool. Very cool. <laughs> so if I show up as a missionary in a Tesla, kind of awkward, isn't it? Where does he get the money for that? Missionaries are supposed to be poor. Or if Matt shows up, well, Matt's got, he works full-time anyways. Um, by the way, thank God for Matt. He's not here. I can just say, give him a hug. Appreciate him. He is every Sunday giving of himself for us, uh, working full-time and then being pastor of us. So we have this sort of idea that it's spiritual for pastors to live on less than the average person. And it's ungodly if they live a normal life with a normal average salary. Where does this come from? I mean, it's kind of normal. I think that's where it comes from. We've seen it so often that it's just kind of what we're used to. Because most, most churches can't afford to pay the pastor enough. Um, but is that the way it should be? Is that the only way to do things? Is that the godly way? Again, 1 Timothy 5.18. Elders who rule well, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. And then it goes right into the workers worthy of his wages. So, I mean, if I'm just going to be a literalist here and, and, and follow exactly what the Bible says, the pastor should get paid double what is normal to get paid. Uh, I, I don't know that that's exactly what it says, if $50,000 a year is, is normal for, or whatever, $40,000 a year, I don't know what um, my wife does the finances more than me, but that, that the pastor should get like $80,000 a year. I mean, that's maybe not, that, that might be hyper-literalism. But certainly, I think we should aim at a normal income for pastors and missionaries. This is kind of my, my interpretation of this passage. Um, and all throughout the Old Testament, I mean, God lays out in the temple, uh, the priests live on, uh, on the, the temple uh, system. When people give gifts to the temple, they're giving it to the priests so that they can do their work. 
uh, and the prophets as well. They had, they, well, they had communal living at times. At times, God provided miraculously. And at times, people gave them gifts and, and provided hospitality for them. And in the New Testament, it's very clear that we provide for um, the elders and for the people in charge of the church so that they can do ministry. Because if you don't pay somebody, they need to find work elsewhere, and that takes time. And if you're asking them to work full-time in ministry and also provide for themselves, then it's the family that feels the pinch because there's nothing else to pinch. Um, is it okay to ask for money to do ministry work? No, actually... Okay, I skipped over 1 Corinthians 9. I should probably go back and read that. Because this is really so key for um, what we know about um, is it okay to receive money. And Paul talks about his, um, his rights in the gospel. And then he wants to say, that he, he has a special case in a, in a special situation, but he wants to first lay out what his rights are. And he says, 1 Corinthians 9, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If, others, if to others I am not an apostle, at least to you I am, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So he's saying, I am definitely an apostle. I'm the real deal. I'm definitely an elder, I'm definitely a pastor, I'm definitely a missionary, whatever our, our contemporary terminology is, I'm, I'm an apostle. My defense to those who examine me is this, do we not have a right to eat and drink? So now that I've established I am, we'll just say a pastor, okay, because that's our, our contemporary equivalent of apostleship. I'm, an, I'm a pastor. Don't I have a right to eat and drink? Don't I have a right to be provided for? Secondly, don't I have a right to take along a believing wife? Doesn't my family have a right to be provided for? Now, Paul was single, but he's saying, if I had a family, they would have a right to be provided for as well. Even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. So he says, all the other apostles, all the other pastors, they're all provided for. Their families are provided for. Me too, I should have a right to be provided for. Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? He says, I should have a right to refrain from working. And he's meaning working outside of the ministry. I should be able to devote myself full-time to ministry like the other apostles do. For who, And then he gives a whole list of examples. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? So if you're a soldier, you're going off to Afghanistan. It's not like you save up your money. You buy a plane ticket and you, and you buy a gun and, and you buy a tent and you go over there and somebody else is going to pay you to be a soldier. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Farmers live off the produce of their, own, of their own work. I'm not speaking these things according to human judgments, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about the oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not much more? Skipping down to 13. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those that attend regularly to the tent altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. God has directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. So it's totally legitimate for a pastor or a missionary to be paid and to make money in the ministry. 
and I would say even to, to have a normal income, not to have to be scraping by all the time. Is it okay to ask for money to do ministry work? This objection comes from the life of George Mueller, uh, who um, is a very famous guy in, in Protestant circles, and he founded an orphanage, and he never asked anybody for money. And all his life, and he never saved anything. He never had money on hand. He was completely living on faith. Um, and he, he's, you know, his autobiography, his biography is re- read and reread, and he's held up as a great model of faith. And that's fine, but nowhere in Scripture does it say, thou shalt not ask for money. In fact, um, Elisha asked a starving woman who was going to eat her last loaf of bread with her son and then starve to death. He asked for that loaf of bread as somebody in the ministry who needed to be supported. And the woman was blessed and her food was multiplied. And in that way, God saved the woman and her son. But people asked for money in the Bible. As well, Paul in Romans 15, 24. Well, the whole book of Philemon is Paul asking uh, for a slave to be released, uh, freed, to become a freed man, and then to come serve him as a freed man. But it's a big ask. And the whole book of Philemon goes through his argument for why this man should be freed. And look, I've given you, you spiritual things, so now give me this material thing back. And so you can read the book of Philemon. But Romans 15, 24, Paul writes the whole book of Romans, the longest book in the New Testament. He writes it to a church he's never seen before. And right towards the end, it's so small that you'll probably miss it. You probably have all missed it already. He says, I would like to come visit you. I've wanted to visit you for a long time because I want to bless you. I want to spend some time with you. And I want to be helped on my way to Spain by you. Going on a ship costs money. Paul's broke. He's traveling around a whole lot. He gets gifts, but lately he hasn't got gifts. He really feels a call to go to Spain. So he's looking at the map and he's thinking, I got enough money to get to Rome, but from there I don't have any money to keep going. So he writes the book of Romans, you know, to bless them and to care for them and to, it becomes the bedrock of, of Christianity. But at the same time, it's a missionary ask letter. And right at the end, please send money. <laughs> or when I get there, please buy my, my ticket so I can go to Spain. So Paul asks for money. Uh, therefore, there's no reason. Um, and George Mueller, it was a personal vow. He wanted to show the faithfulness of God in his own life. Um, but there's no reason that all missionaries need to live this way. Um, and in my personal experience of being a missionary for four years now, if you don't ask, people don't give. It's just how it is. Uh, I had maybe three people out of, uh, it takes about 80, 80 uh, donors to keep a missionary going. And, well, three of those just came out to me and were like, well, I presented in the church and said that I had a need, uh, so I, I asked them that way. Um, and they said, we want to support you, and here's the amount, and stuff like that. Everybody else had to have that awkward conversation, and then at some point, would you consider partnering with us in our ministry? Uh, if you don't ask, people don't, don't tend to give. Um, and point five, is it okay to budget and save while doing ministry work? That, again, comes from George Mueller, um, and you can look at that later on. Okay, so there's three objections uh, that I want to look at. I'm going to skip over KP Johanan. Or you looked at George Mueller. But if you are in ministry and you're asking people for money, people will, you'll hear pretty often, well, what about Paul? Paul was a tent maker. Why aren't you a tent maker? Why don't you work and then provide on the side for uh, your ministry? 
because uh, if we went a little bit further in the passage that I just read in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul waxes eloquent and, and talks on and on about how he does not receive money from the Corinthian church and how he works with his own two hands to provide for himself. And that is great, but Paul makes it so clear in that passage. This is a personal choice. And he lays out, these are my rights, this is how it should be. And he says, but I have made a personal vow, just as George Mueller did. I made a personal vow that before God, I don't want to receive money from the Corinthian church. And his reasons for doing that, we don't really know because he doesn't say. Um, but perhaps it was because Corinth was the richest, one of the richest churches in his circuit, one of the richest per- churches that he knew of, and um, also the most corrupt uh, the book of First and Second Corinthians, there's all these issues and, and there's spiritual pride and there's immorality and there's all this nonsense going on in the church. And what some good commentators have said is that he didn't want strings attached and he felt as though if he at, approached some of the wealthy people in Corinth, they would gladly give him money but with strings attached. But he had no issues receiving money from the Philippian church. And the book of Philippians is Paul's um, thank you letter. As missionaries, we write thank you letters. People give us us gifts and we we tell them how much we appreciate them. And we tell them, this is what we're doing in our ministry because of you. And thank you so much for for how you're contributing to the work of God out in Quebec or in Africa or wherever. And that's what the book of Philippians is. It's thank you. Um, And uh, at the end, he says, you yourselves know that nobody else has joined with us in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone in the last year. So thank you for your gift. Um, He asked for gifts at times. He accepted hospitality. He sometimes lived on communal living. And in the book of Acts, the only time that I found where he actually did tent making was with uh, Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18, 1 to 3. But when his traveling companions showed up, Timothy and Silas, I believe, he stopped tent making and let his traveling associates make money so that he could work full time. Because he believed that working full time was really important and, and, and doing the ministry was super important. So, and let's just be practical here. Um, Tent making is super important. It's super, we need to have tent makers. This church could not exist without Matt giving of his time, without um, other people giving their time uh, to make this small church plant work, without me. Um, And and other people... (laughs) When I preach, all names leave my head, and so I want to thank people, and I just can't remember their names. Um, But thank you all that contribute so generously to this church. But there are certain places that it just doesn't work. And when I was first raising money to to do missions, uh, you know, I was going to go to Africa to be a teacher in in a little college there. And they're like, why don't you be a tent maker? I'm like, because the, the wages are a dollar a day if you can find the work over there. So how can, it just doesn't make sense. And missions, as we know it today, and now there's more Christians overseas, you know, in the third world than there are in the first world because of, you know, the missions movements in the 19th and the 20th century. None of that would have been possible on the tent-making model. It, it all required people supporting and, and sending people out to work full-time. And trust me, working full-time overseas, that is a full-time job. Uh, if you're independently wealthy and you can sponsor yourself, that's, that's awesome. Uh, but, you know, for the rest of us that aren't independently wealthy, we, we need people to, to support us and do the things that God wants us to do. Why do I care so much about this subject? And you might be sitting there thinking, why is he going on and on about this? Uh, maybe you're thinking, well, we all get this anyways. 
Um, but maybe you're thinking, well, it's because he's a missionary and he wants to prove that he should be paid well. That's true. <laughs> I am a missionary. Uh, and the issue touches me personally. And honestly, it's, a, it's been a struggle for a long time, for a lot of years, especially at the beginning and certain points throughout, I felt like, is this really legitimate? Like, my dad would come home and he's tired at the end of the day and he's got dirt on his fingernails. And I come home and, well, I don't leave home. <laughs> you know, I'm preparing sermons at home and, and the work day is different when you're in ministry than, than a nine-to-five job. So the issue touches me personally and I need to get it straight in my mind. Uh, and so this is me getting it straight. Uh, and it takes the stress off, and it makes me feel legitimate. It makes me feel like, okay, this is, this is good. I, it's not good to work with a, a kind of half heart and a feeling of, of what you're doing isn't quite right. Uh, secondly, I care passionately about the gospel. I care about people getting saved. I care about people hearing about how God loves them. I hear about people getting freed from their sin. I, I care about pastors sitting down with people and working through forgiveness issues and, and feeling that bitterness lifted off and, and seeing the physical and the emotional, spiritual freedom that brings. And if we don't pay people, then precious time that could be spent doing ministry is spent working, uh, doing a secular job. And doing a secular job is blessed and holy and, and, and good. Um, but if we can pay people to go, they will do more. And thirdly, and probably the, the one that touches me most deeply and, and personally, is that I care about pastor's kids and pastor's wives. And this whole attitude of it, money isn't spiritual, it's not spiritual to pay pastors, uh, it's not spiritual for pastors and missionaries to live at, on a normal income, they need to scrape by just making it. Who carries the cross in that? Answer the question. Who carries the cross when a pastor isn't paid enough? His family. If I was underpaid, my life wouldn't... A lot of things about my life, and I'm talking, and I know like different... I guess I'm talking about more the traditional family structure, and sometimes it's, it works out differently, but in a situation where you've got lots of kids and, and the wife kind of stays home and the guy kind of does the ministry... What I do wouldn't change if I'm living on 100% support or 50% support. I'm still going to go out and, and do Bible studies on campus. I'm still going to write blog posts. I'm still going to preach here. I'm still going to do scouts. I'm still going to you know, be teaching over at, at the Wellspring School. What's going to change is the burden that's on my wife. And we're already living far from friends. We're already living without, and, and you guys are awesome as a second family, but you know, we're already living on a mission field and all that falls on my wife and all that falls on the kids. And if we're at 50% support or, or whatever, the, the way that it tends to be is he gets the glory and she carries the cross. And you can, can look at, very, at various famous people throughout history and, and there's, I've, I've heard this sort of sermon done and then they, they bring up this guy that everybody holds up and glorifies and they say, it's great that he was able to do so much on so little, but look at his family. Look at his family. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to cast shame on anybody, but this is the history of missions. Is oftentimes, and, and people are like, why does missions cost so much today? Look, back in the old days, it was so cheap. Yeah. Read between the lines of some of those missionary stories. What happened to David Livingston's family? Look it up. 
Okay? And then tell me that missions was, is, was cheaper back in the day and that's the way we should do it. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I thank you for money because you have made it so possible and so easy. Money is so fluid. And right now, um, even this very instant on our cell phone, we could send money across the world and bless a ministry family that is struggling financially. And I thank you for money because... um, It's a quick and easy way to see where our heart is. And um, I thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is coming and your will is being done on earth as it is in heaven because your people are generous and faithful. And study after study has shown that Christians are some of the most generous people in the world. And I thank you, Lord, that your people are generous. And I thank you, Lord, that people are going out in faith. And even from this church, people are going out. I just pray that the goers would go and the givers would give and that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that your blessing would be on the ministry families and on their kids. In Jesus' name, amen.